uh, about three-ish months ago, something like that, three, four months ago, my wife Marcia and I went on a marriage retreat. And so I think, I think this is our first marriage retreat, right, that we've ever gone to, like first marriage conference retreat thing. So this is like something that Grace Church, this is kind of cool. Grace Church does this for all of the pastors on staff and their spouses, like every five-ish year or something like that. They send us away uh, for a couple days to, you know, just kind of recharge our marriages and make sure that our marriages are strong. And so this was, this was our time to go. And so we went to this marriage conference. It's in Rome, Georgia, Okay. Rome, Georgia is like right outside Atlanta. So it's like a 10-hour drive away. So 10-hour drive or hour and a half flight. And so we're doing the math. We're like, I don't know, what should we do? You, know, you get to the airport hour and a half early. You fly over there. It's, it, you, you fly into Atlanta, the biggest airport in the world, right? The place is crazy. And to try to find a rental car and drive, we're like, why don't we just drive? We'll just, we'll just do the 10 hours. It'll be like nice romantic time in the car to connect, you know? So we, we go, we're driving, of course, you, you get into traffic, you know, and then it gets stressed. It becomes less romantic when you run into traffic, right? So we get into Rome, Georgia, maybe 10 hours down the road, you know, we get in there and we're like ready to be at the retreat center, you know, like stretch our legs and kick back and, uh, and just relax. And so we are, the, you know, we follow the GPS course and we're like, I don't know, half a mile away and we're getting excited, you know, we're driving down this road, it's kind of a busy road, and then we're like three-tenths of a mile away, and it has us turn off the road onto like this dark, abandoned road, right? And we're like a tenth of, the mi- of a mile away, and we're like, where the heck are we? There's nothing around here. And then we stop, we're right in front of, it looked like a vacant, creepy warehouse, and the GPS says, you've arrived at your destination. I'm like, what in the world is Grace Church sending us to, right? So, you know, eventually we made it there. We go to a gas station, and the lady at the gas station was so kind. She's like, it's real easy. All you have to do, she had a, a thick accent, all you have to do, and she's like, take the third left at the second bank, and then when you see the big cow, keep going straight. It's going to look like you're going to run into a peach grove, but just keep going through that. Eventually we made it there, right? But it's no fun being lost. No one likes to be lost in life. Well, this week, we're starting a new series in 1 John. We're going to start a five-week series in 1 John. And the primary reason that 1 John was written was to keep people from getting lost. Not lost uh, you know, on, their, on their travels or something like that, but lost in their understanding of who Jesus was and to give them certainty of reaching their final destination, which is eternity with God. That's why 1 John was written. And so I'm excited to, to dig into this. Uh, I've really been looking forward to this. Tonight, tonight this morning, um, we're going to do, I'm just going to give you a bit of an overview of the book and maybe a 30,000 foot view at First John and what it's about, what's going on. Actually, the background is really important with First John. What's happening at the time? Why is John writing this letter? That sort of thing. And then uh, the next four weeks, we're going to dive bomb in. We're going we're gonna to pull out four different themes over the next four weeks that I think is going to be really, really relevant to our lives here today. So I told you last week, last week we did our state of the church time. And uh, one of the things that we talked about is, is spending time here, like committing to, to reading the Bible. So the the uh, reveal study, the spiritual life survey, one of the conclusions that they come to is that if we want to be growing Christians, if we want to be growing followers of Jesus, this, 
no doubt about it, this has got to become a regular part of our life, right? And so last week when we talked about State of the Church, I said, hey, we're going to be starting a series in 1 John, and every week I'm going to challenge you to read 1 John. It's five chapters long. Literally will take 15, 20 minutes to read the entire book. I read it this week, and, and you can do it in one sitting. You can spread it out, whatever that looks like. But I want to I lay down the challenge to you guys uh, this week to consider doing that um, every week throughout this series. There's something different uh, that we get from Scripture <clears throat> when we um, don't just read it one time and move on, but when we read something and like soak in it a little bit and we read it again and we read it again and we get reminded of these things. It's amazing how God's Spirit penetrates deeper into our hearts and reveals things in a different way that maybe we need to work on and we need to absorb. So I want to challenge you um, this week, read 1 John. If you're not a reader, some people go, I, I had lots of people tell me, I'm not a reader, Jeff, I don't like to read. That's okay. There's a zillion different apps that you can get on your phone that will, you can listen to it. They'll, they'll have somebody read it to you, right? You can do it while you're driving, I don't know, but just consider reading that this week. And when you do it, I want you to ask yourself some questions, okay? So throw, throw, actually just throw them all up there if you, don't, if you don't mind. Here's some questions that, like, ask God, what do you want me to learn in this? Sometimes it's easy to just read and then move on. Ask God, what do you want me to learn from this? What, what misunderstanding, maybe, do you want me to correct, God? Uh, what, how do you want me to apply it to my life? Sometimes it's easy to read something and go, okay, I got it, I understand. But we never really take that next step of thinking about what does it look like for me to live this out today? Like, what, what does it look like for me to apply this to my life today? What in your life needs to change? It's amazing how when we're confronted with God's word, with the Bible, if we allow God and we listen to him, allow him to speak to us, it's amazing how much we realize, man, there's some things in my life that I need to do a little bit differently, right? There's some things that I need to change. And then the last one, are there some verses, verse or verses that maybe God wants you to memorize? First John, if you haven't read it ever or if you haven't read it in a while, there's a lot of passages in here that will be familiar. If you've been a part of church at all, that will be familiar to you. I would encourage you to maybe consider taking a passage or two. I know as we get older, it's harder for us to memorize scripture, but it is incredibly valuable for us to be able to do that. So as you're reading it, those are the, the questions that I challenge you to. And, and I'll make you a guarantee too. I, I guarantee you that uh, if you read through 1 John each week during this series, not only will you get to know uh, 1 John better, but you will get to know Jesus better. I, get, I guarantee it. I'll give you your money back. It's a money back guarantee. I'm not giving you any money, right? Yeah. Anyway, I, I'd encourage you to really check out 1 John throughout this series. So I want to give you some background on it because the background on this book is super important. If you know the background, then you'll read it and you'll come. There's some things in 1 John where you go, what is he? Why, why did he say that? What does he mean by that? When you know the background, you can read some of this stuff and you can go, oh, now I understand what's going on when he's writing it. Now I understand what he means by that. Now I understand why he said that the way that he did. So the background is really important. So I want to spend a few minutes here talking about the background and what was happening because what was happening back then in many ways is all around us today. It's all around us today. So First um, John is actually one of the last books in the Bible that's written. So it's one of the final books that went into the, <clears throat> into the Bible. I've had voice problems. Last night was terrible. Forgive me if I have to stop and keep getting drinks of water here. 
but it was written between 85 and 95 <clears throat> AD. And so John is an old man when he writes this. John is an apostle. So John was probably the guy who was closest to Jesus of any other person on earth, maybe with the exception of his mother and father. Right? But he was his very closest friend. And he also wrote, so John didn't just write 1 John, he also wrote 2 John and 3 John. And then he wrote two other books. He wrote the Gospel of John <clears throat> and also Revelation. So a big chunk of the New Testament, the Apostle John wrote. And so John was one of his closest friends, right? And obviously he witnessed all of these things that Jesus did. And when he saw that some of Jesus' followers, so everybody else is gone by the time John writes this. Okay? When the last books in the Bible, all the other apostles literally have been killed for their faith. Killed for their faith. John is the only one left. They actually tried to kill him. They boiled him. This is what uh, history tells us. They boiled him in oil. I don't know what that's like. I don't think that's a pleasant experience. But they boiled him in oil to try to kill him. Somehow he survived through that. And eventually, because of his faith, he was exiled. He was taken from everything that he knew, and he was sent to this island, literally an island called Patmos, where he, where he spent the rest of his life. He suffered significantly for the gospel. He suffered significantly because of his best friend, Jesus Christ, right? And, I, you know, I, sometimes I, I even think about that in my life. I think sometimes we can think, if I'm really committed to Jesus, if I'm really following Jesus, my life shouldn't be hard. I shouldn't have to suffer it should be really good, right? I'm committed. I'm following him. John is a great example that that is not always true. In fact, I would maybe even argue it's not often true. John is a guy that suffered significantly for the faith. So anyway, when John rec recognizes he's the last one left, he sees that there's some weird things going on in the church. Like there's some uh, uh, crazy beliefs that are starting to infiltrate into the church. And so John feels compelled to write this letter. First John is a letter. This is kind of confusing. So this is a book, right? This is the Bible. The Bible is literally a physical book, but it's filled with other books. So there's 66, we call them books in the Bible. One of, some of those books in the New Testament are also called epistles. Epistle is just another word for letter, okay? And so some of the shorter books that were written to specific people or people groups are called epistles. So this is, <coughs> excuse me, this is one of those epistles, one of those letters that John writes, okay? So I want to give you a little bit of information on what's happening that was leading people astray. So this weird philosophy starts to, to infiltrate the church. And I want to give you some background because it is so interesting. And hang, hang with me here. Okay, some of it's a little bit crazy, but I want you to hang with me here because this is very relevant for our lives today. Because we, we call it something different today. We repackaged it a little bit differently. But this same philosophy is around us today too. Okay, so hang with me here. So without getting into too much complexity, there's this philosophy that begins to take root in the early church that in essence was saying the physical world wasn't important, right? So like this, flesh, blood, matter, you and me, physical bodies. The physical wasn't really important. In fact, many would go even further, who, who believe in this philosophy, they go further and say it's evil. The physical world matter is evil. And the spiritual is what's really important. So the spiritual world is what's important. Physical world, 
At best, it's like meaningless. At worst, it's evil. And knowledge, having this secret knowledge, was the way that our spirits are freed from this physical world and we could attain salvation. Okay? That's like this, theory, this philosophy in a nutshell. And so when this philosophy gets twisted into Christianity, people start to get misled and people start to believe some crazy things. So literally this is, you know, 50 to 60 years after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, okay? So in the next, let's say, 50 years, some crazy things start to come in. And so this philosophy is one of them. So people start believing some weird things about Jesus. So they'll believe things like, he wasn't really a physical person. Physical's evil, right? Matter's evil. He wasn't really a physical person. He just had the illusion of being a physical person. So really, he was only spirit. Right? Or they would say, they would believe things like, yeah, Jesus, he's just a dude. Like he's, he's just a guy, and God descended on him for a time. God, the spiritual God, descended on him for a time and did some crazy things, some amazing things. But then he pulled back away from him when he was beaten and when he was tortured and crucified. And then he came back to him when he raised him back to life, right? And because the physical world, matter, stuff was evil, which, by the way, would include us you and me, our physical body, our physical needs, or at best, it was meaningless, it didn't really matter how I live my life, right? Because like much of my life is lived in the physical realm, right? And so it became not important how I lived my life. What became important was that I had this secret knowledge about Jesus and that my spirit was freed. And so when the physical world is meaningless, what do you think happens with people's perspective on sin? Well, it's not really such thing as sin, right? There's no such thing because the physical world didn't matter. So people started, this is in the church, people started to kind of do whatever it was that they wanted. They would lie. They would cheat. They'd never help anybody. They lived selfishly. Divorce my wife, cheat on my wife. Like all of that stuff didn't matter. I was saved because my spirit was set free because I had the secret knowledge. It's kind of crazy, right? And then on top of that, there's a sort of weird belief that I am actually God and you are actually God. So I am him, he is me. I am in him, he is in me. And what I need to do is I need to transcend myself and I need to transcend this physical world and free my light to connect with the ultimate light. Good stuff, right? This is what's going on. This is what John is writing into. And so this stuff starts to get mingled into the church. And some people in the church start to believe it. And even some leaders in the church start to really believe it and follow this philosophy and try to assimilate it into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How do I believe these things and also follow Jesus? And guess what happens? People start to think, my life really doesn't matter. The way I live my life really doesn't matter. All that matters is I know the secret. I know the mystery that's been revealed. I know the good news. I know the gospel. And then they could live any way they wanted, completely focused on themselves. And they could make Jesus into really whoever they wanted him to be. And they would try to transcend their physical existence to allow their spirit to connect with the ultimate light. In the big picture, what happens is sin becomes rampant. 
So this is what's going on in the church. People are being misled. People are being pulled away. This is what many scholars, most scholars and theologians think that John is writing into. John sees this stuff. He's the last apostle left. And he's like, I got to do something about this. I got to write. I got to write to try to help these people. Now, I don't know what you think when you hear that, all of that stuff. Like, for me, I'm not that smart. For me, I hear that. And I'm like, these people are cuckoo. You know, like, what, what in the world are they thinking, right? Like, that's, that's so far beyond me. But here's the thing. This sort of thing can and does and is happening around us today. And if we're not careful, what it looks like for us to follow Jesus can get twisted and it can get distorted and it can turn into something really different than what it tells us right here. So what I've described to you, this philosophy that's begun to infiltrate the church is called Gnosticism with a G, Gnosticism. So Gnosticism is a really complex philosophy and was kind of always changing. And we don't use that word today, but here's the thing, Gnosticism is still around today. We just call it something different. We repackage it and we call it something different. Gnosticism is essentially the New Age movement. Right? We've heard of New Age. The New Age movement is essentially Gnosticism repackaged. And there's also lots of commonalities with Buddhism as well. And I don't know if any of us are going to like jump with both feet into this and go, yes, I'm going to leave everything I know, <clears throat> everything that I've understood here, and I'm going to become a Buddhist, or I'm going to become a New Ageist. Or I don't know if any of us are going to do that. But if we're not careful, we can slowly drift into some of these lies that are floating around our culture and our society about Jesus and about spirituality. So what kind of lies? Let me, let me give you some examples. These are all things that, I have <clears throat> that I've heard um, not just people say, but I've heard Christians say and believe. Ready? Here's the first one. God's who I want him to be. Like God, God's just kind of who I want him to be. Like it's fine if God is one thing for you, He's something different for me. It's fine for you to define God the way that you do. I define God differently, right? For me, my personal God is such and such and such, right? Like I'm the definer of who God is. Here's another one. My life's mine to live the way that I want to live it. Like it's, it's, it's my life, right? I should be able to live my life the way I want to live my life. It's my body, I should be able to do with my body the things that I want to do, right? How about this one? Who am I to try to tell somebody else how to live? Like, who, who am I to try to tell somebody else what they're doing is wrong, what they're doing is evil, what they're doing isn't right? Who am I to tell somebody what's important and what's not important or what's destructive to them? Like, I don't want to judge. In fact, the Bible says that. The Bible says we shouldn't judge, right? How about this one? This, this, I hear this all the time. I deserve to be happy. Like, don't I, don't I deserve to be happy? Doesn't God want me to be happy, right? Well, I'm happy when I get what I want. I'm happy when I get my needs met. I'm not hurting anybody, right? I'm also not helping anybody or thinking about anybody other than myself. How about this one? One more. We're all on this journey to find our true selves. I'm on this journey to experience who I really am. Or maybe the meaning of life. I'm on a journey to, to understand, to fight, to discover the meaning of life. As opposed to finding my true self or finding my identity in Jesus. 
See, we have similar lies all around us today. Like if we open our eyes to them, you'll, you'll see them. If you're looking for them, you'll see them. We don't call it Gnosticism. We don't call it that. We don't call it Docetism or any of those other things from thousands of years ago. We call it things like self-help. We call it things like humanism. We call it things like new age. We call it things like existentialism. And sometimes what happens is some of these things get our ears, right? Maybe somebody that we respect in life starts to believe these things and becomes a spokesperson for these things. And then it starts to get our ear. And if we're not careful, we can start to believe some of these lies. And we can find ourselves trying to mix them in with what this says. It's called syncretism, right? And slowly we lose our true north. And we end up being something really different than what this says a follower of Jesus should look like. And I start thinking that my life is really all about me. So what John's dealing with in the church almost 2,000 years ago, believe it or not, it's not all that different than what we're dealing with 2,000 years later today. And what John was telling the church when he wrote this letter was something that I think every single one of us this weekend here in Barberton, Ohio, 2017, needs to keep reminding ourselves of, needs to keep telling ourselves. This is what John, we'll see this in the coming weeks, this is what John reminds his readers of over and over and over again almost 2,000 years ago. This is what he says in a nutshell. He says, my life matters. Your life matters. My life, in fact, I want you to say that with me. Ready? Let's say it together. My life matters. Do you believe that? It's an honest question. I, I'm going to assume, I'm going to guess, I'm going to suppose that there's some of us in this room that we go, yeah, I don't know, does my life really matter that much? Like, am I really making that much of a difference in the world? Like, does how I live really make that much of a difference? Does what I do really make that much of a difference? Does what I do in secret really matter much? The people that I talk to, the people that I don't talk to, the people that I help, the people that I don't help, John is really clear here. He's like, your life matters. What you do, what you don't do. It matters to God and it matters to other people. What I do in my life is always impacting other people. Always. What I do in my life matters to other people. And what I do in my life matters to God. Your life matters. In fact, this is, this is like one of the really encouraging things for me. I remember especially as I first became a Christian. You know, we have people that got baptized last week. <clears throat> as I first became a Christian, like when it clicked with me, when I got it, I was so excited to read things like, God has plans for me. Like my, my life matters. He has plan. He says, says things like, he has good works prepared in advance for me to do. My life matters. The way that I live my life matters. God cares how you live and how you and I live reflects, think about this, how you and I live reflects what we believe about God, Right? And how you and I live affects our relationship with God. It reflects what we believe about him. And it affects how we relate to him. It affects our relationship with him. Do you ever think about how much the way that you live affects the way that other people live? Like, do, you ever, do you ever think about that in your life? Or how, how much other people's lives have affected you? I, I, I probably shouldn't be, but I'm still always amazed when I have somebody 
come into my office who's struggling with whatever, like they're hurting, they're struggling, maybe it's alcoholism, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's independence, but you know, whatever it is, a variety of things, I'm still amazed how many times they tell me things like, you know, my mommy struggled the same way. Or, or I saw my daddy do this over and over and over again growing up, and I told myself, I will never do that. I will never be that way, and now here I am. Or things like, man, I'm, I'm just following in my big brother's footsteps, or I'm following in my big sister's footsteps. It is incredible how much we influence others with our lives and how much other people's lives influence our lives. Our lives matter. My life matters. Your life matters. And, and similarly, kind of the flip side of that, how when I, when I, I meet somebody who's, uh, in, many of you are this way, like an amazing person, you know, like an amazing person. I get to talk to, you know, they're, they're just, they're godly. They love people. They care deeply. They're like willing to give their lives away. It's amazing how many times then I'll meet mom or dad or they'll tell me about mom and dad. And mom and dad are exactly the same way. Who mom is or who dad is has influenced who their kids are. See, our lives matter. Whether we know it or not, whether we accept it or not, who we are, what we believe, what we do is always affecting people. Good or bad, right? Sometimes that's really good and sometimes that's really bad. Uh, over Christmas, so right after Christmas, right after our services, a couple days later, we got a chance to go down to Florida uh, on a little vacation, which was great. It was freezing up here. It was 80 degrees down there. It was amazing, right? And so um, for me, going down to Florida is extra special because I used to live down there. So I used to live in Naples, and that's actually where we go. And so um, we, you know, we, we went down for 10 days or something and had a little extra time. And I um, wanted to meet with my old boss down there. So when I lived down there, I had a boss, and I just adored this guy. And I hadn't seen him. I don't think I'd seen him in 13 years. I think when Marsha and I got married, um, we took our honeymoon down there, and they had us over, he and his wife had us over for dinner uh, one night. Just awesome people. So I hadn't seen him in a long time. And so I Facebooked him. I'm like, hey, his name's Lou. I'm like, hey, Lou, man, I'd love to see you. Like, I'm coming down to Florida. It, he still worked in Naples, you know. And I said, is there any way to get together for lunch and just kind of catch up a little bit? He's like, yeah, man, that sounds awesome. So I was so excited to get together and have lunch with Lou. And you know why? Because Lou is an awesome dude. Like, Lou is this amazing guy. I was 22 years old when I moved down there. And I moved down there uh, right after going through some really, really difficult things in my life. And so I was very much broken. I was moving to a new state where I didn't know anybody. And this guy, first of all, he hired me. He gave me a job, right? And he took me under his wing, and he was like a big brother to me. But with hair. He has like thick, full head of Italian hair. Just amazing. Was I jealous? Maybe a little bit, right? But he was this amazing guy, like this incredibly big brother to me. So he would invite me to uh, play basketball with him. Like he, he had some guys every week they'd play basketball. He's like, why don't you play? And I love basketball, so it was like a great connecting point. He'd invite me to come over to his house for dinner. Like they'd make, you know, he was Italian, so he'd make like this obnoxiously large bowl of spaghetti, you know, to have us over and, and just hang out with him. You know, if I needed to talk, he was there to talk with me. He taught me how to be a good salesperson. Like that was my, it was a sales job. It was my first sales job. And he like taught me how to care for the customer and like actually sell them something that they need, you know. Like he was just a good 
good guy. And he had an incredible impact on my life. In fact, I told him that when we were at lunch. I made him a little uncomfortable because um, I said, you know, you, like who you are and what you did for me almost 20 years ago now, made an, it shaped who I am today in many ways. Like you had a huge impact. And he was like taken aback by it. He's like, are you serious? Like I didn't, you know, like he had no idea, right? Well, there's this other guy that I worked with at the time as well. And I've shared a little bit about him um, maybe once or I think one time in the past. Um, I cannot for the life of me remember his name, which probably tells you a little bit about um, the impact that he had on me. We'll call him Chris, right? So Chris worked with us at this business uh, because he lost his job at a church. He was a pastor at a church. and His life was falling apart. Uh, he was doing a lot of deceptive things and his family uh, was falling apart. And he actually ended up leaving his wife and two young kids, two beautiful young kids. I think they were both under five at the time, right? And so um, he started working with us. And um, where we work, there's a lot of people around. There's a, uh, there a lot of girls around. And so this guy was like, he was probably 35 at the time, but he looked really young. And uh, he would flirt with these young girls all the time. And then, and then literally 15 minutes later, his wife, so he moved out of state to get there. His wife followed him with the kids to try to like salvage the marriage. And so literally he'd be flirting with these young girls, lying to them about his age, right? Like trying to pick them up. And then 15 minutes later, his still wife, who he had left and abandoned and two young kids, would like come and into, the, into the place where we worked and try to like just spend time with him, try to be with him. And so he was a liar. Like you couldn't trust anything that this guy said. Like you couldn't trust him as far as you could throw him. Uh, he was actually a really good salesman in, in the sense that he made a lot of sales, but only because he knew how to manipulate people. That was the only reason why. And so this guy had a great impact on my life. And uh, who I am today was very much shaped by who he was, but in a different way. Because I wanted to be nothing like him. I looked at this guy and I don't want... Because God, at that point, started to speak to my heart about being a pastor. I thought, I don't want to be anything like what this guy was. He was the worst example of a pastor or former pastor, I guess, that I had ever seen. And I can only imagine the number of people that he hurt because of the decisions that he made with his life. I can only imagine the people's faith that was destroyed by his selfish decisions and it still breaks my heart to think about his wife and kids. It's still, I have no idea what's happened to them, you know, like I said, almost 20 years later. But I think about those little faces and, and daddy abandoning them, daddy not wanting to have anything to do with them. And I know that one day he's going to have to answer to the Lord for those things. But I look at these two guys, and I, I know Lou, and I'm sure the other guy, had no idea how much their lives were affecting my life. I'm sure of it. And here's the thing, your life is doing the same thing. Your life is affecting other people's lives all the time. Whether you know it or not, whether you want it to or not, your life matters. What you do, what you say, what you believe, it matters and it's impacting people. And, and I'll say this too, your life also very much matters to God, right? Like the truth is how we live our lives is a direct reflection of our relationship with God. Because God is like, we know what God is like, right? 
He's great. He's just. He's righteous. He's pure. He's holy. He's peace-loving. He's all of these things, right? Like we know who God is. If I'm none of those things, or I'm not often those things in my life, what does that demonstrate to God about how much I love him and how much I'm committed to follow him? God, I'm, I'm on board with you. I am, I am a follower of Jesus, but my life looks nothing like Jesus's. I don't do the things he does. I don't say the things he says. I don't really believe the things that he believes, right? Your life matters to God. He cares about your life. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The Bible is full of instructions for us on how to live our lives. We call them imperatives, right? Like God tells us, you should live this way. He cares how we live. You should live this way. And we said, it's not because God wants to make our life difficult. It's not because God wants to make our lives no fun. It's actually just the opposite. He gives us instructions because these are the way to live life to the fullest. If you, if you live this way, you will live the best life possible. You live this way, you'll experience joy. Who wants to experience joy in life? I do, right? You live this way, you'll experience peace. Who wants peace in their life? I do. You live this way, you'll experience excitement. Like there's excitement in living on mission, the mission that God calls us to. Who wants to live an exciting life? I want to live an exciting life. If you live this way, if you do these things, you'll experience unconditional love. Who wants unconditional love? I want unconditional love. I want to be loved no matter how I perform in life. We live this way, there's purpose, right? I want purpose in my life. That's how God wants us to live our lives. And that's what John reinforces over and over and over again in 1 John. Your life matters. It matters to other people. We're always influencing other people. We're always affecting other people. And it matters to God. How I live matters to him. When, when we were down in Florida, uh, we went to the beach one day. So we went with um, some friends of ours, another family. And we're on, the, we're on the beach, and we look out, and we see dolphins. Like, you know, which is fun, you know, when you're a northerner. And, uh, so we see these dolphins, and they're getting really close to shore. And so literally, they're, like, they got 10, 10 to 15 feet away from us. Right? It's like so cool, you know, and so we're out there like trying to get as close as we can to these dolphins. You have to make sure they're not sharks, right? <laughs> Once we decided they weren't sharks, we're like, let's see how close we can get to these things. And so, you know, we go out and we're like focused out into the ocean, you know, and you're just kind of watching the waves and you're looking for when the, their little dorsal fin comes up, you know, and we're, I don't even know how long we were doing this. The girls were on the shore. It was the boys that were brave enough to be out there doing this stuff right so like we're focused on, on, on out into the ocean on the, the the waves and looking for these dorsal fins to pop up and eventually I turn around right and I look to the shore to see how Marsha and the girls are doing and they're not there and I'm like where in the world did they go you know like where what? they they were there my first thought is always is she playing a trick on me like, is she messing with me? Did they, like, pack up and move somewhere else, you know, down the beach just to mess with us? Uh, but then I look, you know, I kind of pan down the shoreline, and I see them, and they haven't moved at all, right? They're, like, in the exact same place that they were. What happened? I moved, right? When you're focused out into the ocean, you're not focused on the shore. The current just kind of moves you down the shore, and that's what happens. And, guys, listen, if we're not careful... That's what can happen to us in our spiritual lives. We can drift, right? I, I think, I don't know if you feel it the way I do. 
I feel this every day of my life. I think as being part of a, as being a human being, part of being a human being is we have this tendency to drift. We have this tendency to not stay focused, to not stay consistent. It can happen to each of us. And the solution actually is very simple. Like if you take to heart what I'm about to say to you right now, it will safeguard us from drifting, by the, being, dri- being moved by the currents of life or the philosophies of life. Here's the solution that John emphasizes over and over again in 1 John. Ready? Jesus must be my focus and my anchor. Jesus must be my focus and my anchor. See, what John reminds us of, and we'll see in more detail in these next few weeks, is that when we keep our eyes focused on him, when he becomes that spot on the horizon, he keeps us from drifting, right? When we make him our anchor, he is our anchor, and the currents of life can't sweep us away to somewhere else that we don't want to be. And he's a strong anchor. He's a really strong anchor. There's, There's no major catastrophic storm that can pull up and move. Jesus is our anchor. There's no deep, dark, subtle, under the surface, undertow currents that can move Jesus as our anchor. And when I, and when I think about that, you know what it gives me? It gives me peace. It gives me courage. It, gi- it gives me faith. It gives me freedom to live my life to the fullest and to live my life without fear. Right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. I don't want to be driven by fear in my life. I don't want to m- make my decisions based on fear of what might happen. That's a miserable life to live. When I realize that when I make Jesus my focus and my anchor, my life's not driven by fear, it's driven by faith. When he becomes that spot on the horizon that we hold on to, that anchor that holds us in place, you know what happens? Our life is secure. I'm, I'm, I'm secure. I'm safe. And, and I'll tell you this, it's not about trying hard. This is, this is so important. We can, we can, I think maybe this is part of humanity as well. We put it back on us very quickly. We go, okay, my life matters. It matters to other people. My life matters to God. Well, I'm going to work really hard then to live my life the way that he wants me to live. I'm going to uh, discipline myself. I'm going to set up accountability. I'm going to do all of these things. It's not what it's about because we're not the focus right? Who do we just say is the focus? Jesus is the focus. He's the anchor. He's the strong one that holds us in place. And what we do is we cling to him. We grab tight to him. We look to him. We get our bearings from him. We get our perspective from him. It's him, 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 him. It's not us. I cling to him. I allow him to change me. And when he's my focus and my anchor, then I have a confidence and I have a certainty of the future that's, that's almost unexplainable. It's almost unexplainable. Here's what I've experienced in my own life. Jesus gives me certainty for eternity. Jesus gives, Jesus, when I make him my focus, when he's my anchor, I have certainty. Like, I don't fear about the future, Right? Like we know eternity's coming. We know that this life is going to end for each of us in this room. It's going to happen at some point, right? Well, one of the, the main things, John tells us why he wrote why he wrote. He tells us why he wrote this letter. He tells us why he wrote this letter. 
right? At the very end, it's in chapter 5, 13. This is what he says. Throw it up on the screen here. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, right? I write these things so that you may be certain that you have eternal life. Here's a question. Do you want certainty for eternity? We know this life's going to end. We know eternity's coming, right? There's two options for us. Do you want certainty in knowing that your eternity is going to be spent with God forever and ever and ever? Jesus offers that to you. He offers it to me. When we make him our Lord, when we say, I cling to you, you're my focus, you're my anchor, you're the center of my life. And we know that one day when this life ends, I'm going to be with him. It gives us confidence. It gives us security. All we need to do is cling to him. All we need to do is make him our focus and anchor. Our lives matter to him, right? And we get a chance to partner with him to affect other people's lives because our lives matter and impact other people as well. So, so I want to reissue my challenge to you again. Read, read the book. Read the letter. 15, 20 minutes this week. And just allow God to speak to your heart. Ask him to whisper things that, that you need to hear. And, and maybe you sit here this morning and you're like, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm, if I'm into all this stuff yet. I don't even know if I believe all of this stuff about Jesus yet. First of all, let me say I'm glad you're here. This is a safe place. You can be who you are. No one's going to try to manipulate you. But I would encourage you the same exact way. Read 1 John this week. Spend some time with him. Ask God to give you what you need to make him your focus and make him your anchor. And then the next few weeks, the next four weeks, we're going to jump into some of this stuff. And we're going to see very practical ways that John shows us of how our lives matter, how our lives matter to God and how our lives matter to other people.